no, it was wonderful because nobody was watching us. Um, we had no reputations to sully. We took a really long time to sort of come into our own. We knew what we wanted to do. You know, we didn't necessarily always execute that. But because no one was looking and no one really cared, uh, we had time to sort of make mistakes in private, which was a real gift. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Claire DeBoer is the chef owner of Stissing House, a restaurant that I hold very close to my heart located in New York's Hudson Valley. Man, it's one of my favorites. Claire is also the chef owner of two New York City restaurants, King and Jupiter. On this great episode, Claire and I talk about her time cooking at River Cafe in London and her journey to America to eventually open some of the country's best restaurants. We also talk about her writing career and how she makes it all work with three children under five years old. I so enjoyed catching up with Claire and hope you enjoy this conversation. Claire DeBoer, this is Taste. Hi. Hi, Matt. So nice to have you in. Yeah, likewise. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big listener. You've hit me up on uh, Instagram about that. I really appreciate you saying that. I know you were. You said you'd caught a number of episodes, and, and now you're here in the studio doing our own. Yeah, Hannah, Hannah Goldfield's my gateway. She's a, I listen to everything that she does, and, um, and that's how I was introduced to, to you. Bless Hannah for that one. I think Hannah is, is a real, and I can't wait to see what she's up to at the New Yorker. I know there's some changes happening there, and there's going to be some cool things happening, but... Okay, you blessed us with some apartment 4F croissants and bread. Thank you so much for waiting in line for us. Yeah, it, well, well worth it. <laughs> now, like, this conversation is going to be split into a couple parts because Stissing House, and I've been on record on the show, is one of my favorite restaurants in the past several years. It's up in the Hudson Valley. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about your, your, your career in New York at Jupiter and at King, where you are a co-owner and co-chef at both. Um, but we'll also talk about your Substack because you like to write. And, you know, you probably fill up your time with a few other things. I'm, I'm joking. Uh, mainly, mainly like picking up after scooter crashes, uh, yeah. and, uh, and everything that comes with having a three under four. Yeah. Three under four as well. That's a little bit like, like that's a little footnote, but not really. You have a lot of young kids running around. All right. But I like to start by asking, you know, we have a lot of listeners coming into New York this fall. What's good right now outside of your restaurants? What are you, what are you enjoying? I, I, I feel like I'm the most terrible person to ask. I really <laughs> haven't. I'm a cave woman. I haven't sort of left. Uh, I've been upstate all summer on maternity yeah. leave um, with a newborn. Um, and we just got back to the city for back to school. These croissants from 4F are fantastic. Uh, The first place that we stop on our way back in is always New World Mall. Yeah. Um, There's a chonking noodle soup in the food court that uh, sort of bring brings us brings us back and we're always hankering for really spicy food um, after sort of being holed up in Dutchess County. So that's the first stop. Yeah. and then I love, we love going to serve us. We get, we get to go out like maybe once every six weeks we go mm-hmm. for dinner. That's the first. Just the two of you and your husband. Yeah. yeah and the newborn. So yeah. It's, <laughs> oh yeah. Two top. Two top. Two top. A really, uh, we're a restaurant's favorite. We're a f- 5 p.m. Uh, really quick turn. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me, how do you split your time between Stissing House and your other restaurants? Are you, are you up at Stissing House for chunks and then you come back down? Um, so we're, our life is very much led by the kids. So they're in school. Last year, we were Monday through Thursday in the city and then um, Friday through Sunday upstate. Now we're going to be here for the full week. Um, but, you know, opening opening Jupiter, I was there very intensely. Opening Stissing House, I was there, there very intensely. You know, King is a very mature, well-run, well-run restaurant. And I really haven't been back on the line there or even sort of managing actively uh, since I had Abe, my first, who's nearly four. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, so the, the the exec chef there now is Anne Hales. Uh mm. We call her we call her Tina. She's fantastic. We've worked with her for many years. Um, and um, Jupiter, the exec chef there, is Lucy Gibson, um, and she was a senior sous at King, and we worked with her uh, for several years as well. So there's really fantastic teams at both. Um, and likewise at Stissing House, it's taken quite a while to find uh, find the people that mm-hmm. can really really make it work but we've got an awesome couple that I mentioned Roel uh, and his wife Jessie yeah um, and CDC they, and pastry chef exactly yeah. exactly and they've got a fantastic son who's been sort of been living in the restaurant all summer as well same age Wonderful. as uh, my eldest oh okay so Four it's family affair 
Yeah, four year old running around that yeah. beautiful place. Well, we'll get to Stissing House and and really talk about what you're what you're doing up there because it is absolutely a special restaurant. Um, let's go back to your your life growing up. What was food like growing up? Where where were you growing up? That food was very very good. Um, I'm sure it I was, was in the UK uh, in the countryside until I was four, and then I moved to New Delhi, India. Um, I lived there for seven years and then um, moved to Dubai. Yeah. Um, so lots of. Uh, grandma's cooking in the early days um lots of talis rotis dal for the next decade yeah uh and then on to some very good middle eastern food my goodness this is uh what a blend of upbringing you know your upbringing really showed you the world of food um yeah and i think the world of hospitality as well i really can't think of sort of more welcoming um cultures than um sort of the, the South Asian and Middle Eastern, there's a way of welcoming and, you know, you walk through any door and the first thing they're like, what do you want to eat? Can I get you a cup of tea? Um, so, yeah, a masterclass there. Yeah. And you find yourself at the River Cafe and you're working the line there and you're working through the stations. What's it, what's it like at River Cafe? What's your career like there? What's what's happening in your career? Because you ultimately went on to run several restaurants and, and chef. But was that like a really formative part of your life? Oh, totally. The place is 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 singular. Um, I uh, when I decided that I I was thinking about cooking, uh, and I went to work for Otto Lenghi in London, um, and I did I, I did a little a little bit of time there uh, and fell in love with sort of the intensity of working on the line, um, and I really wanted to work at the River Cafe, so I kept going there and saying, "What does it take?" And they were kind of like, "Get lost," but <laughs> also, <laughs> uh, you know, you could go to cooking school as a starter. Mm. And I said, "Great, tell me where." They said, "Ballymaloo." Oh yeah. So off I went, um, and I kind of, you know, I just, I just kept showing up, um, and then they let me into the kitchen. And after a while, I was like, "Do I work here?" Yeah. And they were like, "Yes." That's kind of how it was. Like just like kind of like started picking up the knives in the kitchen and yeah. just like sticking around. Yeah. Um, but it's an amazing place. I mean, they they sort of, there's there's no compromises. Yeah. Um, the food is fantastic in terms of the produce and the variety of things you see as a cook because the menu changes every day. Um, you really get, uh, you really get a, a whole education um, from butchery to um fish, uh, yeah. veg, you learn, you learn everything, um, pastry and pasta. Or when I was working there, they didn't have a pastry chef. So all of the line cooks cooked everything. That's amazing. Um, what a cool thing to have like foisted upon you. Oh God. Amazing. And I think, um, I think beyond the food, it's a very special place, um, because it's a holistic dining experience, yeah. um, that is not imitative of anything else. It's got its DNA. Um, there's a tremendous amount of style, uh, and it's the kind of food that is special, but you want to eat it every day, which is exactly what I want to cook and um, and eat. Very cool to say that. I mean, it's like Chez Panisse in many ways yeah. uh, on America's West Coast. And and what can you say about Ruth Rogers and learning from Ruth Rogers? Uh, I think the biggest thing... Um, I mean, she's she she's an icon. Um, she's <laughs> she's one of the many trail... You know, I think when we, when we opened King, everyone was like, oh, wow, you know, um, you, this is so unique. Um, but I, I, I never felt, I never, f I've never felt like a trailblazer in any sense because we're, you know, hundred percent riding on, on the coattails you mentioned of Alice, of Ruthie, of mm -hmm. Darina Allen, of Ballymaloo. Um, well, there's no, no shortage of these absolutely incredible women, um, that we've sort of had the, had the, had the, had the priv privilege and the pleasure to cook alongside. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you're being modest. I think each, each restaurant has its own individual identity. You know, the pedigree does matter, but it's not everything. And, um, I'm sure that time at River Cafe made you really think about hospitality as much as cooking, right? Because you were in the back of the house, but you also were understanding how the restaurant flows, right? Yeah. You get to see everything there because of the open kitchen. Um, exactly. Are you really... I think connecting the two, all of my favorite restaurants connect the two and they're not really, it's not really a separate sort of front of house and back of house. I mean, as a cook, I remember the most, you know, my favorite part of being, you know, being on the cold line there, you got to, uh, you got to dress a salad and taste it three times in the process. Yeah. Um, and then you got to put it up on the pass and then you could also watch the person whose salad you made take that first bite. And that loop of pleasure of tasting it and knowing it's delicious and then watching someone's eyes sort of pop a little bit. Is that what you're um, for? Is it eye contact? Yeah, I mean, not, I'm not looking to make eye contact with them. I'm, well, I'm, I'm right. watching for the contact that they're making with their food and, Sorry, and that kind of like intense moment. And the thing about having an open kitchen, which we've had, it, you know, replicated at King and, and at Stissing House and, and even Jupiter, where it was really kind of, 
you know a, a challenge to, to to get that to happen yeah. um that's the the joy of cooking for me is the joy of of feeding people yeah. and sharing that um so i i think the River Cafe was sort of the first time uh, where I was in a professional kitchen. Actually, Ottolenghi's as well, but getting to getting to watch people enjoy the food, um, and that's really what it's all about just the just the simple pleasure of eating and those eyes popping out of their yeah out hopefully heads. hopefully not always eye popping salad like who on earth made this send it back the, i mean the big salad at stitching house it's called the big salad yeah and, and really you've got a real thing for salads i do i'm a salad fiend well, I'm you're an a absolute pro salad fiend um <laughs> they're never they're never big enough i mean there's a couple of places in the city that does do you know Obviously, King does an incredible salad, but I always order. I always order all of all of them. Romans and Fort Green. Yeah, they often have. They've got one that's always very large, and they've got sort of a smaller one. Um, and you, ha- I mean, you have to get both. Uh, you have to get both. I, I haven't been to Romans in a minute. I gotta. Yeah, go. I like a. I like a sort of a salad with a side of main course. Absolutely, and I think the big salad. You're like, it's definitely you gotta like you know, cut the radicchio or the large greens in there. And I just like sometimes just eating with my hands. I'm eating a salad with your hands. Well, you're a pro, like, Matt. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> you're a pro. you gotta, you got to gotta get the Jake Scooter and the ham, and then you've got to sort of yeah. form a, a, a radicchio uh, sandwich with it. Let's go to 2016 to King. Um, it's a collaboration with two partners, Andy Shi and Jess Shadbolt. And, you know, I've followed the journey through media. I've heard you on some podcasts talk about it. But it sounds like you really, really bootstrapped that thing to, to existence. Tell me about Opening King. I'm trying to go back and actually remember it because I have this thing we've been asked so many times about those early days that I feel like I'm remembering what I've said about it rather than the re- rather than the reality. It's um, the reality. You framed it. You framed the question differently. So, yeah. I mean, what do I remember? I remember... Um, I remember my mum scooting around uh, on her hands and knees using a cutting board uh, on her knees, scrubbing the tiles in the kitchen yeah. uh, before we opened. I remember our gas uh, being turned on the same day. Um, I remember not being able to get credit with any of the distributors um, and because also of having no, yeah, 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 no track record, no sort of social security numbers. or And I remember... Um, also not having the money in the bank to necessarily buy stuff. So we got a a, a, a goodwill credit line from the deli on the corner. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just to get some some essentials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, a little bit of sugar. Yeah. Of um, it was really, yeah, but it was really, it was no, it was wonderful because nobody was watching us. Yeah. Um, we had no reputations to sully. Like it was, it was, it was, it was, we were young um, and very free uh, and, we took a really long time to sort of come into our own. Um, we knew what we wanted to do, but we couldn't, you know, we didn't necessarily always execute that. But because no one was looking and no one really cared, uh, we had time to sort of make mistakes in private, which was a real gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I think, it, you know, it really took around six, six to nine months um, for people to start paying attention. And, and by that, by that time, we had some, you know, excellent pork chops and yeah. we had a freezer that worked. And Okay, the freezer. So your mom's uh, in the kitchen scrubbing the floor because she's yeah. a, being a mom? Yeah, she or- was being a mom. It was a real It was a real project. It was a really family family project. Um, Annie's parents, Annie's mother was washing the windows. I've still got a photo of her standing yeah. on the on the dumpsters out the back um, with a squeegee uh, doing her part. And Annie's yeah. dad built out our entire trash room. Um, it yes. was, you know, pretty gross. And uh, he was like, this is not good enough. Enough for, for Annie. We're gonna, you know, and I think he spent the entire Christmas, three weeks, um, doing us a favor because we didn't have um, we didn't have the funding at that point. To, so he just like built the room. He, where he, he built it trash. out. He yeah. built it out. It was a real, um, yeah. It was. Restaurants are gnarly. Restaurants are like ten x gnarly in New York. It's just a really tough place. Uh, Wells would eventually shower praise on King. It would raise uh, rise to, to fame, and it's still busy today. Uh, it's Fashion Week now. Is it pretty popping this week? Yeah, there's been a couple of Fashion Week events. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think Pete Wells named it in a roundup that he did uh, he did recently, and um, yeah, so it's it's hopping. So you're doing a cookbook. When's that out? With oh, God, that's a great question. Yeah, your sometime. guess is as good as mine. Sometime. Um, so definitely, I'd like to have your partners back to talk about that book when it's yeah, out. Yeah, we've got to. It's been, um, it's been great working on it. It's it's really cool to hear about King. And, and you know, that was 2016. And, and since then, you've opened Jupiter at Rock Center. But I do want this to be the Stissing House uh, portion of the conversation. So let's go there. 
it's one of my favorite restaurants right now, and I've been five times in in maybe 14, 16 months. I, oh, I live you. like an hour and ten minutes away. That is a bit of a commute. It is, but you know, I, I say this not to like flex. Like I I, I like to drive to restaurants. It's more um, when I find a restaurant I like, I go there a lot. And you've done this, so I, I'm really just for my own selfish ways. But I think our listeners should make the trip up to Pine Plains. Tell us, how did you find this very unique space? I love that. That's one of the big charms of the space is the space. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible, it's an incredible building. Um, yeah, I mean, during COVID, I got a call from a friend of a friend um, who lives in Pine Plains. And they said, listen, I'm buying the building. I'm looking for a chef. Will you come and take a look? And I had just, uh, we had just signed the Rockefeller Center deal Um I had found out I was pregnant with my second son the same day. So timing wasn't so, great. Timing was utterly horrific. Yeah. Utterly horrific. Yeah. Utterly horrific. And um, I just, yeah, my husband was like, just go take the meeting, whatever. Um, so we went together and I walked in and I honestly hadn't felt that way um, in so long. Um, totally moved. Uh, you know, the building's from 1782. Wow. And, and if those walls could talk, it's been... Uh, it's been a motorcycle bar. It's <laughs> been, you know, the Marquis de Lafayette slept there. That's really amazing. Um, it's been, it's been all sorts. It's got the oldest ballroom in America. Um, if you have a fact checker, you should run all this by. No, we'll have a fact checker. <laughs> but I, I, the upstairs is a private yeah. dining space and a ballroom, and yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. very much. Um, and we have amazing parties up there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could, I couldn't not do it. Um, it was completely, wow. it was completely unreasonable and irrational, <laughs> and uh, would turn out to be one of the you know, like all, all the best things in life, incredibly uh, sort of challenging mm-hmm. um, things to get off the ground. Um, what was the state of the place when you got there? And you mentioned it was a biker bar. I've heard from service yeah, no, there. It had, it had most recently been um, a, a, a wonderful French restaurant oh, cool. um, run by uh, Michelle and Patricia, um, who now have a restaurant down the road. They had been in operation for, I think, a, a decade or more. Um, and they had decided to close down during COVID. And the building was purchased. So the, so the restaurant was really in working order. It had sort of 20 layers of wallpaper and oh, lots yeah. of rugs. And the kitchen was closed, um, was was mostly closed off. And so we redid uh, the goal really with, with our sort of renovation of the restaurant was just to sort of restore it to our fantasy of... Uh, of In. Of, of, of yeah, of its glory days. Yeah. We, you know, we stripped everything off, um, put fresh lime wash on the on the plaster walls. We did everything as as much as we could in keeping um, with the time. You can't like fake the patina of the beams and the walls and you've got a great parlor with a hearth and you got some cool furniture in there. Yeah. Yeah. It does all the hard work for us. Yeah. The food, we'll get to the food. The food's okay as well. But (laughs) let's, when you're you're in that space and you're thinking about opening a a restaurant built around an open flame, open hearth. How are you thinking about that? Because I think it's it should be stated more that this is really hard to do, to run service, a busy restaurant, big restaurant with um, open fire. Yeah. Um, there's no gas, um, in, there's the front, no gas. In, in the front kitchen. Wow. In the front kitchen. So, so everything on service is coming out of the wood oven or the wood-fired hearth. That's, I, um, I thought you maybe had some sneaky gas lines. We have gas lines in the back. For baking and all for, that. We've got, yeah, we've now got, we've got an electric oven. We had no, we had practically no working oven when we opened, um, but we were gradually, um, as we, as we prove ourselves, um, you know, buying a new piece of equipment sort of every few months mm-hmm. and we're almost we're almost there it's always a work in progress um yeah it's hard I mean I didn't go into it with much wood-fired cooking experience we cooked uh, you know we had a wood oven at the river cafe um and so I had to sort of blist the lemon tarts and that um and roasted potatoes and trees um uh but it has been. I've I've learned so much from from the cooks we've had who've got a lot more of wood fire experience yeah. than I do. Um, you know, Roel, who is the CDC there at the moment, um, has spent decades and decades cooking over coals. Um, so it's really fun to get to work with him. Um, my my absolute favorite thing to do on the on the hearth is is put oysters with just a large knob of butter mm-hmm. directly on the coals, and the shell sort of acts as a Acts yeah. as a, a frying pan, and they sizzle and sizzle and steam in the butter, and then you take them off with the tongs and 
blow it a little bit just you know just so it's not going to scorch you and, and tip it back it's, 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 and that's that's perfection it's great and and let's talk about cooking over coals like new york city is essentially banned from new york city yeah. is that you can't, so you're finding talent and, I, and my, my question is about you're up on pine plains about an hour and 45 from the city how are you are you staffing it seems like that's a big challenge anywhere in in america but you're kind of like not in the most hotbed of people in the restaurant world oh my gosh yeah i mean what I've learned, don't don't hire uh, don't hire people that are looking to date. <laughs> <laughs> we've had uh, or find them, or find them a partner quick. Yeah, um, yeah no, we uh, we've had very bad luck with anybody that is um, you know on, on, on looking to looking to Tinder in uh, yeah. in Pine Plains, um, <laughs> and very good luck with anyone that sort of uh, nesting. Yeah, settled nesting, happy to have nowhere to go other than their own backyard. Yeah. Um, so it, it it took a while to sort of form our form our what I hope is our sort of forever crew, um, but we've got. Fantastic uh, general manager, uh, fantastic director of feasts, uh, and you know uh, the chef and, and pastry chef that I mentioned, and they all they all were were you know lived in the city and had long careers sort of all over the world and came to the Hudson Valley uh, post COVID to sort of for their next for their next step, um, and we've been. It's uh, amazing. Very lucky to. Do you move them up? Do you find them spots to live? I mean, that would be challenging. I would imagine. Um, the uh, they've all found they've all either had housing or yeah. or found their own. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not as affordable as it as it once was. Exactly, yeah. it's it's hard. I mean, there's a real renting scarcity up up yeah. in the area. Um, but it's remarkable that you have such great service, and it's it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Though I love it, I live up there myself. Let's talk about the Hudson Valley. Yeah. Um, owning a restaurant in the Hudson Valley. Um, What's it like for you to think about, uh, you know, seasonality, but also just like all the products around you, yeah. you, you name farmers on your menu. Um, what's yeah. it like cooking there? It's such a, it's, it's such a privilege. We, we, um, we started living there part-time and had our house there sort of, I think five or six years before I opened, um, Stissing House. Um, and you know, I think in the city people talk about sort of farm to table and, um, it, it, it almost feels like marketing speak. I think those those words have lost a lot of value. Yeah. And Stissing House is surrounded by farms on all sides. If you drive there from any direction, you end up going passing, you know, um, everywhere from sort of Fat Apple Farm to uh, Sugar Hill. And you, you, you just – so those are the guys that we work with. I think the yep. – the, the the goal with the food at Stissing House is 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 to have very low ego, low ambition, and just really have a sense of place. Um, reflect, show show off all the work that everyone um, in Dutchess County and beyond is doing, um, raising their animals and growing veg, and then just cooking it simply over the wood fire. Uh, it's nothing new. It's nothing flashy. It's just um, you know a good roast chicken um, and a beer. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what. And a big salad, of course. And a big green salad. I feel the the way you've just articulated that is is super honest, and um, you know, a lot of farm to table is is bit put on uh, like a pedestal and kind of like used as marketing jargon, but to cook it simply is not easy. It's actually the opposite. To cook simply over wood is like the hardest thing. Yeah, because you're not just dealing with the food; you're dealing with the fire. You've got yeah. two ingredients, um, and you're constantly trying to sort of make them work together. And you know, at King we have gas and you become very it's you're controlling it um you're writing recipes you're to, to temperature it. yeah you're controlling it and and you know i think what what do line cooks do predominantly working on gas it's all about like you know turning your flame up and down um deciding which pan you pull whether one that's preheated or one that's uh one that's cold depending whether you're trying to get a dish out in 12 or 10 minutes there's all these things that you're playing with um and you know what all the factors are and you're controlling them. And then when you're cooking with when you're cooking with fire, you're doing the exact same thing, but instead of twiddling a knob, you're doing ten things to get that equivalent adjustment in temperature. You're, you know, you're it's how dry your wood is, how thick you've chopped it, what variety of wood 
you're working with. We work with almost exclusively with ash. Um, we work with a lot of fallen trees that are of different varieties. Yeah, the borer is like yeah, you know, really we, tough up there. Yeah, totally. So loads of ash trees are dying because yeah. of um, the emerald ash borer. Um, so we, we work with a lot of ash, but it's, yeah. So all those variable factors in the wood itself, how long it's cured for, how long it's been in our basement versus, oh, did we did we get a dump on our lawn and it, did, did it get due overnight? And then there's, of course, how long it's been burning for. It's uh, remarkable you know. how many <laughs> factors. And then you yeah. add like, you know, the, all the other, the shit hits the fan in the restaurants and it, it feels like you, you have to deal with all those other issues too, not just... Um, you know, you have to, you're not just like turning yeah. on the knob of an oven. But, but as with all things, the, the, the more challenging, the more rewarding as well. So it's a really, yeah. uh, it's a very, um, it's a focusing, it's a focusing thing to cook with fire. Is this uh, a reason you keep the menu pretty static? I feel like you don't rotate the menu in a way. And that's actually, I, I think, you know, I, I think. I well to to be to be frank I think that's a matter of um staffing and yeah. training. Uh, there's so many so many reasons there's a real there's a real sort of format to the menu. Um you know we've always got oysters um the ham that we uh brine uh, cure and and smoke uh glaze in the wood oven. Um we've always got Jake's Gouda and we've always got whatever seasonal pickles. And then we've got a couple of salads um scallops cooked in their shells and um yeah so that there is a format and more and more uh this season i think as we sort of established ourselves we're a little over a year old um i think word has kind of spread amongst the farmers and the foragers and we get a lot more people showing up to our back door saying i've got this uh do you want it um cool. and we're we're going with that uh but there are absolutely some things that don't change, couldn't change, will never go anywhere. I love that. Yeah, let's talk about who is Jake because I, I feel uh, the good is always ordered. Yeah. You're, 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 you're like serving yeah, hunks of cheese and obviously I'm going to eat that. Yeah, he's an incredible cheesemaker. Actually, him and uh, Jake and his wife, Sylvia. Yeah, okay. uh, She deserves sort of equal credit even though her name is not on the cheese. Give her like year two, call Sylvia's Gouda. <laughs> Sylvia's Gouda. Um, so they're, they're, they're uh, a couple of cheesemakers up in um, Deansborough. And uh, they're making they're making good in the in truly in the Dutch style. Um, it, it's almost Parmesan-y in terms of the sort of salt crystals, yeah. but they they use a cream. They, it's raw milk, and they uh, they wash with cream, um, and they, rather than sealing it uh, with wax, which sort of allows the cheese to breathe a lot more uh, when it's aging. Um, and it's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Like opening up a new, uh, you know, we get these giant wheels, and every time we open up a new one, there's sort of uh, an instant carnival in the space. Everyone starts getting in there. Yeah. You know, the servers start, you know, circling and <laughs> everyone everyone wants a taste. And I think that there's something that's just so spoiling. This is the kind of this is the kind of thing that you can get in restaurants that you can't get at home, or that I want to get in restaurants yeah. that I can't get at home. You know, you can buy Jake's Good almost anywhere and it comes in, you know, an inch thick slice vacuum packed and it's been cut and in that um in that plastic for you know you just don't know how long yeah um but when i go to a restaurant i want to have cheese that is cut from the wheel but please don't do anything to it you know you want the, I, I want the simplest thing um but that is just slightly slightly inaccessible uh to me at home uh, sort of unless i was serving 136 portions of jake scooter a night <laughs> yeah those crystals are unique you're not yeah. gonna get that the vacuum seal and yeah there's, and we can go on and on about the the menu. Um, I, I love it so much, and I and I really want to ask you about moving forward the next few months into the next few years. You know, you talk about the large formats, and you have a lot of private dining up there. Um, what do you want to do with Stissing? Where do you want to take it? I, I I mean, I have to confess that it's sort of um, a playground for me. Mm -hmm. um, I get that sense. <laughs> it's uh, You're so it's, creative and it, it feels like you can do a lot of things up there. There's a lot of options. Yeah, I mean, the space is big. The kitchen's got fire. Um, I mean, there's so many so many sort of ideas at play. Uh, I'm imminently excited for a, a couple of things. We've got uh, this incredible, uh, incredible uh, pizza maker, Anthony Mangieri of Una Pizza Napolitana. Yeah. He is coming up and he is going to be... Uh, we're cooking together Pine Plains inspired pizza pies. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Love He's going to be making, you know, his number one pizza in the world, except with sort of Jake's Gouda and ham. And um, so that's going to be fun uh, to get to learn from him. When's that happening? Uh, I think it's the second or third Monday in October. Um, and then I, I love, um, 
I love craft and um, basket weaving and broom making. And um, so I've got together with Deborah Needleman and we're going to be throwing a craft feast on December 10th. And at the moment, we're just in the process of sort of inviting. It's basically we're throwing a fantasy shopping event cool. for that filled with like tons of food and um a celebration of craft. Yeah, that probably will be in the pages of tea, obviously. It seems like. I mean, Let's... we haven't got there yet, but. Yes, um, sure. But you, it's going to be, it's just, yeah, there's so much room and there's, uh, we can, this, you know, last last Easter, I threw an egg hunt for kids. It all sort of starts quite selfishly with what what, what, what would my, yeah. you know, what would I like? What would my kids like? And we had a massive Easter egg hunt and, and hundreds, you know, a hundred kids turned out and we threw a feast for children in the yeah. ballroom. Um and I mean, it was a wild sugar high. Um, yeah. And then there's Pine Plains. There's the Festival of Lights where uh, all the children in the town show up and get given uh, decorations. Oh, fun. And decorate the entire town. And there are floats with lights on. It's just there's so much community and there's so many talented people. One of our, one of our diners uh, is a fantastic flutist. Flautist? Flautist? Flautist, I think, is the right one. Flautist. But I'll say flutist too. And, and he is going to do... Um, He's going to do a dinner upstairs where he just sort of walks around playing the flute. Um, but uh, it's kind of, yeah, there's just there's just loads of room and space. Community and so, oriented. And, yeah. And um, we've got such a strong team. We can really uh, be playful. I love it. Do you have any, uh, do you make it out to the Hudson Valley for restaurants? No, uh, no, no. I, I, um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm rarely in any restaurant after 5 p.m. I've, yeah. you know, with the three kids, it's, yeah, I cook totally. at home. That's sort of the only, the only place I cook is at home. Uh, and it's very important for me that I uh, attempt to, um, uh, you know, make the attempt at getting my children to sit at the dinner table. Well, let's segue to that because when you're at home, you're cooking for your kids and you're just cooking for yourself and you've launched a Substack, the best bit. It's cool. I, I like it a lot. And I, uh, it's remarkable that you find time to do it, but you're doing it and you've put out more than one, which so congrats. <laughs> um, I think I'm on number four, four, four or five. I've probably got one I've got to do soon. Yeah. yeah just, you got to get, you know, you need yeah. someone to like, you know, like you need an editorial calendar, like keep going, keep going. Keep yeah. Going. I'm not, it's not quite that professionalized. No. Yet. I, uh, I write them, uh, with a baby and baby in the carrier on my walks. It's something to, you know. Keep. So what's, what's the, what's the plan with this? What do you want to do with the subsec? I'll link to the show notes. Definitely subscribe to it. Check out Claire's work. Um, well, I started it this summer just to keep myself company. I think um, my my days normally revolve around talking about food, tasting food. Um, yeah. You know, I'm watering my plants on my doorstep and I'm talking to my neighbor about, you know, what what she made for dinner last night and why it was good or, what, you know, it's just it's constant until the day, till the time I um, until the time I go to bed at night. And um, having a new baby and being in the country are two sort of extremely isolating things. Um, so I just I started it. I started it this summer um, so that I could just share all the things that are on my brain. Yeah, definitely um, dump the download. To download yeah, your brain. it's been it's been it's been really fun, and I've been so surprised by people's reaction to it. It's sort of an alarming moment when you realize that someone's actually going to cook a recipe you've written, and then the pressure is on, and then the next one you feel so much more. Uh, you just want to get it right for them. Yeah. Uh, if anyone's taking the time to to cook something, well, we like your about. restaurants a lot, and um, we may, we don't all know you. This for some have met you really in person and had a conversation, but. Like, we like your restaurant. So I think that's really a big part of why your Substack is growing and it's really ex exciting to read is, like, we just know you know. You know. Well, it's a it's a whole different ballgame uh, trying to trying to do it at home with groceries that have been, you know, delivered, pears you didn't get to squeeze. Definitely. Show up, but, but I want to hear that. I want to hear about those those tips. So keep, keep, keep going. Like, I know it's hard. <laughs> I mean, this isn't, like, obviously for money. This is for, like, real... Passion. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, it's 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 also just a great chance to sort of improve improve one's writing and stretch your legs. Uh, I don't want to get to the point where, um, yeah, I don't want to be static. So it's fun to just keep keep trying. This is interesting. I've had a, a number of chefs reach out in the past few months specifically about this topic, and I actually am working with a great chef on a piece for taste to 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 come out in a few weeks. But yeah, it's like chefs are thinking more than just what's on the plate, what's in the restaurant, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, these days everyone's sort of diving into um, all sorts, product and yeah, product uh, writing. And there's there's so much going on. It's, I think it's an exciting time. I think that um, there's just so many wonderful things to sort of having your own restaurants um, and getting to feel like you're hosting a dinner party for people that you don't know every night. Um, uh, 
but I think you know if you are the if you are the executive chef I think you know when, when I was when I was at King I was working on the line every day and it was you were touching the food and you were cooking the food and that's ultimately why I got into this mm-hmm. business because I want to cook and I want to feed people uh, and then as soon as you have two restaurants you're kind of really at neither um, you're mm. here and you're there but you're cook you can't cook it cook at cook at either of them um so i think it really makes for me like returning to the home um you know coincided with sort of having more restaurants having kids and that became the new center but but to keep to keep learning um i think is the goal um and you know you get to do that by having amazing people work in your yeah. restaurants and getting to look over their shoulder and see how they do things differently how they do things a similar way having a conversation about it um and also for me now, I've started this, I've started, you know, the Substack, and you read the comments and you're like, you put that much salt in it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, uh, well, yeah. What do you think it tastes good? Well, yeah, guys? that was my initial reaction. Then I was like, <laughs> wait, crap, three tablespoons. Man, I've, something's gone wrong. Oh, so and, uh, it was, it was a little bit know, of a I don't fudge. know. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a topic of hot. It's been Big a, tea, little tea kind of gets I don't a little know. mixed I, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For someone, that, so for someone that doesn't ever write recipes down and never actually yeah. cooks from recipes. Yeah, three so, big teas so, yeah, can be tough. I'm, I'm, it's a work in progress. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate that you're actually writing and, and putting yourself out there, and I love it. So, on This Is Taste, we ask us about the discerning taste. So, Claire, to, to close this interview, here's a little rapid-fire Fast and Furious taste check. Are you ready? Uh, yes. Let's go. The best morning pastry with coffee? Plain croissant. Just plain. No, no chocolate. Yeah. Love it. The best dessert period? Uh, after lunch, like a fruity, nutty, whole mealy, sort of squidgy fruit cake. After dinner, a scoop of ice cream or a sundae. Love the specifics. Now, fruitcake, I think about it as a holiday thing, but it's not. Not that kind of a fruitcake, like uh, a cake with fruit in it, like a, you know, like a uh, wholemeal peach cake, dorset apple cake, that type of thing. R- love it. And you have the big coconut cake, too, at Sissing coconut House every cake, night. Yes, that we get, we get, there are riots if we take that off the menu. It will not. Out. It's great. It's big. It's, it's, it's bold and it sits there in the dining room and sells itself. Yeah, it does. You have to, you have to make eye contact with her when you walk through the front. <laughs> it's so smart. I love that. The best bread. Uh, Sparrow, Bush, um, uh, Grayling, the local baker who's making um, bread for Stissing House in a hearth. The best music to have in your restaurant or dining room, it could be a band or a genre. Uh, well, I think this is so specific to the restaurant because the, the music really should sort of layer into the experience, draw you into it. Um, I want to have sounds that are familiar to people to make them feel comfortable, but not lyrics they know because I want them to be focusing on their conversation rather than sort of singing along. So, you know, at Sitting House, you're having uh, a beer by the fire, throwing your peanut shells in, you're listening to the, the sounders, Taj Mahal, the band, mm-hmm. um, King. Uh, you know, we're a French and Italian restaurant, but we don't want it to be a theme park. So we sort of use more con- mm. more contemporary, but like really clean R&B um, and, and some jazz. So there's not too much, too much, Mm-hmm. Noise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very sight specific. Clean R and B is amazing. That's a great way to put it. I think it's like it, it's like a little more like tempo is like moderate. It's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Up and down. Yeah, and it also needs to like you need to get the groove on as the night progresses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes you need to use the music if the room is not full enough to like get the party started. It's not. It, it, it really depends. Time of day. How much light. Um, how many martinis in. You know what's on draft, like so many factors. Is there an absolute no-go for a certain music genre or band? Uh, yes, I think that there's so many, there's, you know, I, I loved, there's certain songs that I used to love to play at King and now they're on playlists all over the city. <laughs> and um, that sort of automatically is a strikeout. For me. Yeah, I got it. All right. Favorite New York City restaurant, Classic Edition. Oh God, it's been so long since I've been out. Um Oh, uh, Saravana Bhavan um, in Murray Hill. It's a South Indian uh, spot, actually, that I grew up with. They had it in uh, in India and in Dubai, and they do the most amazing veg thalis. Um, and it's been here forever. It's an absolute classic, really light, the most delicious dosas, rasam, dal. Go there. Love it. Favorite New York City restaurant, The New Dog in Town? Um... Oof. I'm going to go with my local winner in the park. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Eddy has expanded recently to Prospect Park. Um, and I go there every day. Yeah, you just it's part of your routine. Yeah, it's part Are of you the... running? Are you walking? Are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pushing a stroller with uh, three three kids on it, sort of avoiding dogs because they've all yeah. they're all uh, traumatized. Darting uh, into uh, the yeah, path. Yeah, yeah. Favorite fellow chef to hang out with? 
uh, Jess, Anne Hales, Lucy, Audrey, um, all of my compatriots at King and Jupiter. Lo- love yeah. that. Your favorite chef to learn from? Oh, at the moment, I'm just really looking forward to making pizzas with Anthony. Yeah, um, at Stissing House. Yeah, he's he's great. I, I really like his career a lot. Moving he's around so the humble. country, he's a humble guy. Yeah, place in Jersey, a place in SF, a place in New York. Now he's gonna be at Stissing House one night only. Yeah, and Monday in October. Oh, yeah, I think it's the 23rd. Don't ca- don't yeah, won't, won't quote you. <laughs> Your favorite cookbook of all time? Uh, Nigella, how to eat? Yeah, easy one. Have you met her? She's eaten at King a couple of times, and I've yeah been excited by that, but I've I've not uh, I've not spoken with her. Your favorite recent cookbook discovery? I'm a cookbook Hoover, but I actually recently I just. It, it not it, this is you know Martha entertaining. This is a very old cookbook. I recently picked it up at the Kent um, Library sale, and I was kind of unaware of Martha pre Snoop. Yeah, um, this is all new to me. Oh my goodness! Um, and I, you know, I there's like 48 books. I, before yeah, Snoop. I, and how exciting! It's like the Goosebump series, and I'm about to. I'm at the beginning of the thrill. Um, <laughs> she, uh, I, lo- I mean, I love it. I love it. This is the 80s maximalist. Yeah. I don't necessarily cook from recipe books. I read them and I look at the pictures. Um, and the photography is so transportative. Uh, you know, she's there with like a, a wedding carrot carrying. I don't know how carrying a wedding cake that's sort of taller than she is um, in the most spectacular sort of center hall colonial farmhouse. And it's just it's just um, it's just. Uh, yeah, it's gorgeous. I love Martha from that era. Just looking so striking, beautiful on the cover, you know, with that knowing smile. Yeah, it's really. I'm, I'm new to it, so I'm. Uh, You're new I'm to at the it. Beginning. Have you have you checked out the, like the '80s television shows? And then no, the she's actually coming um to do an episode uh, w- with uh, with us at Stissing House in a couple of weeks. So this is all this, this started in the name of research. Yeah, and now yeah. it's just like totally yeah for pleasure. What are you gonna make? What are you doing with her? Um, so she loves the she loves the oysters um she's slightly mad for the pheasant um yeah. and then she also um i think had a queen of puddings that she wants us to cook together that's exciting wow having martha in the house i can't wait to watch the episode it'll be really fun your favorite vegetable a father's in may yeah very specific i love it it's like a two-week season here in, right it's like two weeks no i make it last a little bit longer you make then. it last yeah. a little bit longer i think i've had it up there in your, uh, okay. Your favorite quote unquote British food? Um, Jersey Royals, uh, fish and chips, Victoria sandwich, um, Dorset apple cake, flapjacks, tiffin. Yeah. I mean, that's a very long list. It's a long list. Your favorite quote unquote Dutch food? Oh God. Um, Gouda. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a real, that's a real mission statement, having Jake's Gouda on the menu. Yeah, (laughs) an accidental one. Yeah, I love it. A couple more. Your favorite sandwich? Uh, the, the bit you rip off, uh, the baguette before you make your sandwich. Yeah, yeah. I love that part. And you put a little bit of butter on it? If it's soft enough and if available, if it's available, if you if you if if this is if this is right, you know, if this is, if this is right at the supermarket or the bakery, there's none of that. Around. I love that. Last one, your dream cookbook to write, personally, not a king book or a stissing book, but you personally. Um, I guess I mean this is so ref- I mean reflective of sort of where I'm at now, but I would I would want a companion um, for the seasonal and sensual eater who's cooking. Uh, within within the constraints of sort of normal life, um, lots of chaos, no farmer's <laughs> markets, yep. um, and lots of mouths to feed. I can't wait. I think you're gonna you're on your way with your Substack. It's obviously a theme there. And you're on your way. And I can't wait to read that book. It's going to happen. I know it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Claire DeBoer, thank you so much for joining This Is Taste. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. It was a pleasure. Brad Metzger, welcome to This Is Taste. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I feel like we've connected on Instagram and and we've connected through Andrew Friedman. Um, Tell me a little bit about, before we get into LA Chef Conference, a little bit about what you do because it's really important in the industry. You're a connector and you do it for a living. Yeah. First, let me just tell you, Matt, I've been listening to you for years 
And I okay. really value what you bring to the table in terms of your knowledge with restaurant operations, food, and the media um, universe of the food industry. So it's really nice to have someone who has those pieces to bring to these interviews. So I really have enjoyed you for years. Well, buddy, that's uh, really nice of you to say. Um, and I appreciate it. I think, um, you know, having our listeners um, get a sense of the industry and, you know, with that certain television show on FX, a lot more are thinking about back of house and front of house. But also, I just think it's so important as a, as a fan of restaurants, you should know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, thank you. Um, so tell me about what recruiting for the restaurant industry is like. You're one of the uh, country's top recruiters. You focus around the country. You are. I mean, yeah. I, I know you through Andrew's work and, and I've, your name comes up a lot. So I've had my company 20 years, um, Brad Metzger Restaurant Solutions Hospitality Recruitment. I have two incredible partners, Ali Barton and Jackie Lianza, who've been with me for many, many years. And yeah, we, we basically find talent. We work on management positions in the front and back of the house. So exec chefs, you know, corporate chefs, general managers, directors of operations, sous chefs, any management level food and beverage. And we sort of specialize in like independent restaurants, high-end hotel groups. We don't work with a lot of ch big chain restaurants. It's just not yeah. our niche. Um, you know, we, we, um, yeah, we've been doing it 20 years and we, uh, I think we do a decent job. We try every day. What is the hardest job to recruit for in the restaurant industry? It's gotta be a lot of different roles, but you know, what, what's the one that everyone kind of wants that you're always seeking? I mean, I would have to say right now, probably solid sous chefs. Define solid, that first. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, a solid sous chef would be someone who has some longevity. They've been at their job for, you know, at least a year or two. They have a history of, you know, ideally two to three year stints at jobs. They are solid individuals. They're stable. They've worked at good places. You know, not necessarily, you know, doesn't have to be a Michelin restaurant or anything like that. Like, but restaurants that have do some volume. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. little mom and pop restaurants are great for what they do, but you know, they're, if they're not doing a lot of volume, people don't have the experience that most of our clients are looking for. Um, but really just longevity and stability when I, when I say yeah. solid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough industry. I think a lot of folks like wash out or burn out and, and can't hold on for a couple of years, but, um, but you look for that and, and what's the salary looking like for a sous chef these days? I mean, Three years ago, it was 65. Now it's easily 80, Yeah, 85. The salaries have really gone up dramatically. I would say 20, 25%, you know, since the pandemic. So just to be clear, culinary school, no culinary school, but like two to three years of solid, you know, working in volume and you can maybe get in the eighties you're feeling. Oh yeah. If certain yeah. markets. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Our clients are, are more looking for restaurant experience and longevity as yeah. opposed to culinary school. It's great. Right. And it's a huge, it's a huge bonus. And it's, I feel it's important and super helpful, but in terms of in the job market, what employers are looking for, it's more about longevity in, management roles or non-management roles that what you know in terms of what they're looking for uh how do you get into this work brad i mean it seems like you you probably worked in the industry i'd imagine but how do you become a recruiter for restaurants great question um i never thought i would be doing this i grew up in restaurants <laughs> i've been passionate and obsessed with restaurants since i was 10. i started doing catering um my parents had to drive me my friend Sean Fatimi to work as a busboy at massive catering um, parties in Hollywood um, when I was about 14. Then when I was 16, I worked in the kitchen at the original Spago and Sunset for a summer. Yeah. Um, they taught me how to bake the bread. I was chopping tomatoes. I was driving the Spago van down to LAX to pick up fish or down to Chino Farms for vegetables. And that was wow. what really turned it, you know, changed for me for me um the the level of food what they were doing the passion the employee meals um were spectacular and i just completely fell in love with the industry and food from that experience and i just continued to work in all levels of operations management a lot of serving positions a lot of restaurant manager positions 
um, worked hotels, El Encanto Hotel when I went to school in Santa Barbara. I worked at San Francisco Hilton in the yeah. management training program, worked at many, many restaurants in LA, actually came came back to LA after school and worked at um, Granita, which was Wolfgang's restaurant in Malibu as a food runner at the time. Um, and just kept working and working in many different restaurants. And then 20 years ago this year, a very big restaurant PR person who was a good friend of the family, her name is Joan Luther. She's no longer with us anymore. She said, Brad, I've been placing people in jobs for years and I don't know what I'm doing and um, I don't get paid for it. And you've worked with hmm. so many of these chefs that are now opening their own restaurants. You know, you, you, you know, you went to school for sociology. You're so passionate. Why don't you do this? And that basically wow. launched it right there. Yeah. You got the cosign from uh, from a, a colleague, someone who is well regarded. Let's go back. I want to hear about Wolf. Give us a good Wolf story. I feel Wolf is somebody who um, is obviously known for the Oscar party um, catering and is known for his his California pizza kitchens or pizzas. But what the hell? What was he like working for him twenty five years ago? Um, he was extremely active in everything. You know. And even back then, like when I came back and I started working for Granita, he was bigger, you know, way bigger and well-known than when I first worked for him in it, when I was at Spago, you know, four years earlier, basically. And he was a celebrity. However, the guy just worked his ass off. Mm -hmm. he, he worked so hard. And it, it came from not only a passion, you know, for the food, but for, for the whole experience. You know, and I think that's one thing that sets him apart. And I, w one lesson I learned at Spago, and I learned it at the Grill on the Alley, which is a place in Beverly Hills. I worked for seven years. Sure. Oh, you and, worked there for seven? That place is yeah, legendary. Amazing. I was like the place. power lunch place in LA. Yeah, totally. And yeah. I was a server there for the power, you know, the, the lunches there. And it was great. But still today, though, it's still pretty popular. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's hot. Um, both of those restaurants instilled in me the importance of the guest. Yeah. The restaurant yeah. and the chefs, they are there not for themselves. They are there for the guest. Wolfgang and at the grill, they would if they had items in the kitchen, they would make them for the guest. If if the if the guest wanted to remove, you know, a, a, an item from a pizza, you know, I'm on a I'm on a restricted diet. Can you do this for me? If they had the ingredients, they would do it. Even at the grill on the alley, there were regulars at the bar that wanted tacos. So what they do, they grilled a New York strip, they chopped up some tomatoes and cilantro mm. and onions, and they had they took the tortillas that were used for staff meal and they served they served them tacos. Why not? Those guys came back three, four, five times a week and hung out the bar right? Yeah. Let's make people industry. happy. I was at a restaurant. Yep. It'll go unnamed a few nights ago. Okay. My wife has this little thing about, she gets a little sick when she combines anything with onions and cheese, right? It's, mm. it's a little out there, but it's real. Okay. There was a pizza on the menu. I said, could you please remove the, the, uh, the onions? They said, no. And it, it started, the, the, I was at the bar. Bartender started okay. going into this thing about, you know, the the chef sees each dish as a work of art. I mean, I almost like threw up. What? Yeah. You know, it, look, I understand. Losing their minds. Absolutely. People are losing their it's minds. Like, that's like, on, that's remove the crazy. Remove the onions from the pizza. It's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and also it's like, like, come on, like they're, you're paying money for this dish. Right. So like deliver on something. I know mean, of course, like some substitutions require a lot of work and would be a little bit, hard to execute and you're not saying all substitutions are accurate and, and, and really are the, like more viable, but this is, this is, I, I've noticed this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like the servers are part of, um, like this l wider art project and like, you're like questioning the artist statement by, 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 by requesting a substitution. Yes. And like, the, there's like the truly offended. <laughs> the, the taco example is, is extreme. And I would definitely not expect every restaurant to, to do that. Okay. However, when it comes to removing an ingredient from a dish like that, I think it's reasonable for a restaurant to say, sure, we can do that. You know? Yeah. Um, 
we're on the, on the topic of buzzy restaurants. I just have this absolute fascination with Craig's and I've asked uh, Bill Addison about it and he's kind of like taken a pass on, on answering that question. And, but I follow um, this great paparazzi photographer on TikTok, and he goes live from Craig's about twice a week. And I actually watch it a lot cause he's quite <laughs> enjoyable. Um, but I've always wanted to like get a take on like the food there. It seems like it's very marginal, but that's just my, my like talking to people. What what's your official take? I don't know. I haven't been there, but I heard they have very good <laughs> ve- vegan ice cream, and I think I've heard of something oh. about a barbecue chicken pizza or something. Okay, okay. You've never been there. Never been there. Is that because you just want to go to other places, or is it is it that hard to get into? Uh, probably a little bit of both. I, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's just never been on my radar in terms of you know. I, I like to <laughs> I like to go to you know. I'm I'm always going to support my clients. I'm always you know. I like to go to like. Yeah you know, new sort of like, you know, sort of undiscovered or, or small, you know, restaurants and the, the, the Hollywood hype type restaurants, I tend to stay away from. Yeah. What do you think about Mother Wolf? Mother Wolf is amazing. And yeah, his restaurant in Venice, I've been there twice, um, Felix, Felix. The, last, yeah. the last few months, and they are so dialed in. It's yeah. incredible. The hospitality too. And yeah. you know what? It's hard to to do what they do with all the sharing, okay, yeah. and the coursing and all the the changing of the plateware and all that. It can be tough and it can get awkward. They do it absolutely seamlessly and they're dialed in, man. They are dialed in. Yeah, I had a great meal at, at Mother Wolf um this past spring and I just um I think uh the service there was was the best part to be honest. Ooh. Um so give me a couple Brad Metzger recs for LA. I think you're you're definitely dialed in. I love Casilla in Santa Monica. Um, yeah. I love the sandwiches at the Beverly Hills Cheese Shop right now. Cool. They're amazing. Have you heard about these? I haven't. Really? Okay. Um, Anna Jack is so good. So yeah, good. Yeah, that's the one that I need to book. And, and certainly the Beard Awards were really um, a great moment for that restaurant. Yeah. Um, I think those are... Oh, you know what? Are- also, Yangban is is opening on Friday. Yep. And I was there a few yep. nights ago for a preview, and it's incredible. I mean, the food. I was is wondering. Great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, those folks are in my in my book, Korea World, and that's coming out next spring. And we shot with them when they were kind of in transition. But you know, those are some really serious chefs, and um, I can't wait to see how they're rebooted. What can you What can you say about the opening? This will air after they reopen, so give us a little scoop. Well, it's it's much more of a sit down, sort of more traditional restaurant, whereas they have yeah. the counter and they had a little a little super bodega. Yeah, um, so it's 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 nice. It's a little it's a little dark and cozy, and you know, black booths and beautiful art. And, you know, but also sleek and a little simple and the food, the food from what they did with past, past items, it seems a little bit more refined. Um, Hmm. I love their, I loved it before too. So I'm I'm excited to like go in for actual dinner and just see what they're doing. They're great. Yeah. It's cool that they're rebooting at midstream and and trying to make that space work. I know the space was challenging. Yeah. Um, They had inherited it and and now they're kind of get a little bit of a refresh. So Brad, do you consult, um, outside of the staffing part, do you consult in terms of like menu development and all that kind of stuff too? No, not generally, but, but, you know, I have so many friends that are longtime clients and restaurateurs, you know, we're always, you know, talking or, um, you know, a, a restaurant, I don't know, I keep talking about pizza, but a, a great restaurant in my neighborhood changed, changed the, um, the sausage pizza. A little bit mm. and i had to call the owner and say why are you doing this um so yeah <laughs> i would say it's unsolicited menu consulting yeah. that's funny i mean i'm sure that they appreciate it if it's done in the right way and obviously done privately and not like put on blast exactly. Isn't that, that's kind of like the worst thing you can do right to put any restaurant blast these days sure you know yeah doesn't help anyone makes you look like an idiot if you're like putting a restaurant blast and then of course it's bad for the restaurant you know take take that moment take that beat and, you know, maybe do a private DM yeah. before you start actually acting like an asshole. Um, let me ask you, Brad, what do outsiders get wrong about L.A.? I feel like when we write about L.A., we have assumptions. But what's what's consistently wrong? I, you know, consistently wrong. I think that there's a lot of focus on, like, the health aspects. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you look at some of the restaurants that are the busiest, it's definitely, you know, the the carb-heavy restaurants like Evan's restaurants we were talking about. A lot of the steakhouses are really, really busy. 
Um, Baltaire and Brentwood is always busy and amazing. And um, Nancy Silverton's she's Spaka. Um, I would say that's 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 probably the, yeah. the, the biggest thing. Good to know. Um, all right, so I want to hear about the LA Chef Conference in uh, in, in October, late October. Um, you've put it on for several years. Um, I will be there. I'm excited to attend and, and, you know, network and just catch up with a lot of friends in the industry, but what's going down at the LA chef conference? So, yeah, we've been doing it since 2018. It's lachefconference.com for the whole program. There's a lot going on. It's a one day conference. There's the education sort of, you know, panel discussions element. There's a major food component. It's basically a conference with two food festivals. We have a, a LA Chef Con food festival lunch with upwards of 25 chefs cooking for two hours. Um, and then we have wow. an after party with some amazing food. We can get into that too. Um, we have, it's at the LA Trade Tech Culinary Pathway Culinary School, which is in downtown. And that's pretty much what I'm so excited about this year. It's the first time we're doing it there. And just so excited to basically bridge, um, build a bridge from the students and this incredible program there to the industry and the chefs in LA. Because yeah. a lot of in, a lot of industry people, chefs, restaurateurs, they they don't even really know about this school. And it's a it's just a gem. It's right south of downtown. They built a brand new um, culinary arts building that finished a couple years ago, and we're talking the most amazing um, kitchen, you know, teaching kitchens gleaming stainless steel they have five gorgeous kitchens with the state-of-the-art equipment i mean i've been to different culinary schools you know around the country this is this facility is the best i've ever seen in person and well it's cool that you're linking the industry with students because i think you 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 hear about culinary schools offering like externships and all that and and that's always going to be good but to actually host a conference on site and hopefully many of the students will be able to attend uh, and, and see what they're what you're up to. That would be that would be cool. That's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, they're basically shutting down the building for the whole day. So we're going to be incorporating students throughout the entire program. They're going to be helping cook the chefs who are cooking. They're going to be able to you know check out some of the panels. It's a very, very cool situation. And we're very thankful that they're doing this. And I just hope that it makes the industry much more aware and and actually get involved because there's a lot of ways that the industry can get involved not only with LA Trade Tech School but even before that there's a few incredible programs here um, there's Pro Start which is part of the California Restaurant Association this is high school and there's um, CCAP which is another high school program so we're really incorporating the whole mentorship thing um, and we even created a mentorship program where we're doing a contest with the LA Trade Tech students, providing a resume and answering some questions, and then we're going to interview them and we're going to choose five winners. And thanks oh, to cool. yeah, thanks to Lowry's who's who's sponsoring this aspect. Each five students, winning students, are going to get a thousand dollars each, and then we're pairing them up with one year of mentorship by some incredible leaders that are in the industry here in LA. We have Susan Feniger, we have Keith Corbin, Della Gossett, the exec pastry chef at Spago, Ryan Wilson, the CEO of Lowry's, Ari That's Rosenson, great. who's the, um, Ari's the VP of food and beverage ops for Wolfgang Puck fine, fine Dining. So these five lucky students will get paired with these very generous mentors that are offering their time for one year of mentorship, one-on-one -on -one mentorship. So very cool. cool. That's re really cool. Let's talk about some of the speakers. You're going to bring in a lot of Southern California um, media and, and, and industry. Who's, who's going to be on stage talking? Um, a lot of people. Um, a few of the ones that I'm super excited about, I have to say, I've been trying to get my, my friend Ruth Reichel here for years, and she mm. is going to be in the area because she's at the Ojai Valley Food and Wine the weekend before, so she's coming we are doing the evolution of food journalism with Ruth Reichel, Bill Addison, and Leslie Souter. I think, cool. I think between all of them, there's t ten James Beard awards that they have won. Yep. Yep. And um, Bill Addison, who is the LA Times restaurant critic, is going to be in disguise. Of course, gotta gotta keep Bill under wraps. Um, I love this. I lo I can't wait to attend that. It's going to be interesting to 
see what <laughs> what questions are asked. Um, yes. Give us one more uh, speaking panel that's going to be there. I'm looking forward to awards and accolades, the journey and the destination. Hillary Dixler Canavan from Eater is moderating, and we have William Bradley from the only three-star Michelin restaurant, um, Addison, down in San Diego, and, and you know the only three-star in Southern California, Gilberto Siltina from Hobosh, who just won the LA Times Restaurant of the Year Award. We have yep. Rashida Holmes, who's won so many different accolades, and then Justin Justin Pichatrunzi from Anajak, who Anna won Jack, James Beard. West. Yeah, that's a real decorated, um, decorated crew. Holbosch, my gosh, I love that place. My yeah. gosh, the place is amazing. Um, I love it. I mean, Brad. So, so it's in October thirtieth, right? Yes. Um, LAChefsConference.com. I'll link to the show notes. Definitely cop a ticket if you're in the area. Um, are they like what are what are tickets going for? What's the price? How does They're that work? Two hundred. We so we do different tiers. The one eighty, yeah. the one eighty tier sold out within an hour. And then we have 200 that goes on sale um, the 15th. Okay. Yep. Great. And then it goes up to 220 for the next year. Mark your calendars. I, I really, I, I, I get to, I get to go to festivals once in a while. And, and this was one that I, I could not miss. Um, so I can't wait to, to check it out and have a little recap yes, yes. Um, on, on our show. Brad Metzger, thank you so much for joining. This is Taste. Thank you, my man. We'll see you in LA, October 30th. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.